Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give thanks that you have given us the sacrament of baptism and the way we know the goodness of your grace and love impressed anew upon us in that space, your faithfulness. We pray that same faithfulness, goodness, will be known among us in the hearing of this, your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In recent weeks, I have preached from scriptures found in uh, the weekly lectionary used by a lot of the church around the world, found that fruitful. But in doing so, I've noticed that uh, in the again, past few weeks, there's been two or three instances where the, the real central theme of the scripture uh, was forgiveness in some variation or another. And, and each of those times where that theme arose, inevitably I had some of you come up afterwards, after the service, or by way of an email or a phone call, and, and say, so what? I mean, what really is forgiveness? How do we really practice it? How do we really receive it? It seems for many of us at an individual level, even at a societal level, there is an ache to consider again the meaning and possibility of forgiveness. And so these next few weeks leading up to Easter, we will consider that topic by way of Scripture. Some of the ones a little bit further down the road having to deal with some of just the real practical pieces of forgiving one another, reconciling with one another. But today, we start with a slightly bigger picture uh, in the passage of Leviticus, chapter 16. It is a chapter that unpacks this thing called the Day of Atonement. We find ourselves in the middle of chapter 16, verses 20 to 22, and then 29 to 31. And the scripture is speaking about Aaron, the high priest. When he had finished atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and sending it away into the wilderness by means of someone's designated for the task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region, And the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. And then on down to verse 29. This shall be a statute to you forever. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall deny yourselves and shall do no work, neither the citizens nor the alien who resides among you. For on this day of atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. From all your sins you shall be clean before God. It is a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall deny yourselves. It is a statute forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Growing up, I used to play a lot of basketball games with my friends in our backyard driveway. We had an asphalt driveway, which meant that as soon as I dribbled, the ball would come back to my hand, and my hand would start to get covered with asphalt. Dribble, 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 asphalt, asphalt, asphalt. Then you pass. Now that person, both their hands, asphalt. Maybe they dribble a couple times. Maybe they, they shoot it across onto our 
a white painted wooden backboard and now it's got an asphalt mark and maybe it clinks off the rim a little bit and rolls over to the light blue painted fence that now has a little asphalt mark against it. And that all occurs just in five to ten seconds. We start getting sweaty, wiping our hands and our face kind of like this to get it out of our eyes. Start using the shirt to kind of wipe things away. I mean, even a 15-minute pickup game, right, meant that the backboard, the fence, our hands, our face, our clothes, our fingernails, everything is covered in this asphalt. And it only ever spreads and deepens as you keep playing the game. It's sort of this inescapable peace. And that is something of how the ancient Israelite society and really all of the Bible conceives of the nature of sin. It's not sort of this one-time thing here or there that needs to be fixed or amended. It's more like something that bounces and immediately it begins spreading, spreading like this multiplying marker on everything that it touches. And you keep playing the game, it keeps spreading. Those of you who've ever worked in an office environment, work environment, you've been a member of a church, goodness, you know how a little bit of gossip here or there is never just a little bit of gossip here or there. Right? It spreads. It gets on everybody and everything, and suddenly you've got two people over here supposedly just talking about the deadline for the project, and then it blows up into this whole other thing. Because the asphalt is on everything. Or in a marriage, you, you think you're talking about the, the, the color that you want to paint the bathroom, and that turns into this whole other thing of name-calling and hurt, and the asphalt gets on everybody and everybody's assumptions and the way we communicate or don't communicate. And the, the Bible even understands that the asphalt cakes with layers throughout history as well, right? And so maybe you start out at a, a new company, a new church, you marry into a new family, You move to a new part of the country. It doesn't take long to see, oh, there are layers of asphalt from previous years, previous generations, previous centuries informing, weighing down on this whole thing that still raise hurts in this particular space and people. David Brooks of the New York Times, he had an op-ed back in November where he explores some of the the deep hurts, the deep sins, the deep wounds that that maybe we've done to one another or have been done to us. He talks about it in terms of moral injury. In the article, he points out in in particular soldiers who've been through war and often known some kind of significant moral injury. And, And Brooks in there, he laments, most ancient cultures put returning soldiers through a purification ritual or rituals. The men came back from battle and the terrible things they had done there, and they were given a chance to cleanse, purify, and rejoin the community. Even as they knew themselves covered in asphalt inside and out, they had this communal cleansing ritual. And Brooks summarily writes in that article, I I wish our culture had, had many more rites of passage. Communal moments where we celebrated a moral transition. There could be a community-wide rite of passage for people coming out of prison, for forgiveness of personal wrong, for people who felt they had come out on the other side of trauma and abuse. There'd be a marriage ceremony of sorts to mark the moment when a young person found the vocation he or she would dedicate life to. I wish we had rituals to name forgiveness, a new start, a cleansing, because the asphalt is real and it touches Everything. 
Leviticus 16 is just that. It is a chapter on the ritual of forgiveness. In fact, Leviticus 16, it details the highest of holy days for the Israelites, the day of atonement, the day of God's forgiveness. And there is a lot in chapter 16 that we can't nearly get into today. We're going to focus on uh, one significant central portion of that day's ritual. But first, I think we need to uh, appreciate briefly what happened the 10 days leading up to the Day of Atonement. They were called the 10 Days of Repentance. They begin on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and then continue to the 10th day, the Day of Atonement. And during those 10 days, the people are to be somberly fasting, confessing their sins as a community. Some Jewish sources actually write that these 10 days were a day when, when God would open up this giant book of all of your deeds and thoughts and every person would need to be stand before God for an evaluation. Now that may sound heavy, but the point is those 10 days provided a space of significant self-examination. No finger pointing, no debate about which person in the room is really causing all of the asphalt. Self-examination, individually Corporately, where have we missed it? What have, in fact, been our actions? Our inactions. What have been our words, our posts, our emails, our silence? What have been our thoughts? What has been our attention? How are we part of what's happening even way over there, recognizing that all are part of the asphalt spreading equation? Can you imagine 10 days of asking those kind of questions in the sanctuary of God? I mean, I could see days one, two, maybe even three being incredibly awkwardly silent among us. But maybe around day three, a courageous soul or two or three would start to speak a truth about themselves or ourselves. And the high priest was to hold all that was named. And then day 10 arrives, the day of atonement. The high priest we read earlier in chapter, we read earlier in chapter 16, we didn't read this part aloud, but is to wear very plain garments on the day of atonement. Even though this is the highest of holy days, The high priest is not to wear the spectacular vestments maybe you've seen pictures of or so forth. He's to dress plainly because he's to represent all of the common people. And as a common representative of the collective, the high priest, we read, quote, shall bring forth the live goat. He is to lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, everything that's been named in these ten days, and put them on the goat's head the hebrew word here for goat is azazel some biblical debates about best translation but it has a meaning really a central meaning uh, of to take away this is where we get the concept right of scapegoat dwight eisenhower he once kind of famously said the search for a scapegoat is the easiest of all hunting expeditions on one level he's naming what we all know is true right we're pretty good at finding someone or someones to blame for whatever the thing is. But he's also pointing out that humans, we intuitively know that sin, failure, evil, it has to go somewhere. It has to reside somewhere with someone. It's a thing. 
The remarkable thing about the Day of Atonement is that after 10 days of repentance, the people are saying essentially, the sin resides with us. And here and now, by, by way of the high priest placing hands upon the head of the goat, the sin goes there. There was some tradition surrounding this goat about a red cord. You can find it in a few sources. They take a red cord, the red being symbolic of, of, of judgment and sin, and it would be placed on the, the head of, of, a, of a goat at the end of this confession. Symbolic of the sin that's about to be carried away, right? Because the next thing in the ritual, after, after the goat has all this sin placed on its head, is, quote, to send the goat into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task, uh, it was often a Gentile in that time because that just dealing with all that sin was not for the people of God. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Later Jewish writing talked about how the great fear that emerged within the people of God uh, about that goat loaded with all of that sin just meandering one day back in from the wilderness. I mean, can you imagine... The old sin, wander right back in. The old emails, the old social media posts, the stuff you said that really hurt, you shouldn't have said, and it come. What if all of the asphalt came back in one large clump? <gasps> so you'll read how the person who took the goat into the wilderness would, would try and find like a cliff. Like they needed to make sure this particular goat was dead and would not return. And finally, all this would take place on a very particular day of the week. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourself, not do any work. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. It is a day of Sabbath rest. The day of atonement happened on the Sabbath, a day when the people were not to work. That's important. That's central, actually. If someone were to ask, you know, well, how does this process, this goat thing process work? I mean, do I need a really special, big, important goat? Do I need a pretty amazing, awesome high priest? What about the ritual ensures that the forgiveness is true and that sin is not coming back. That sin is not holding us, weighing us, marring us, defining us. How do I know my past is actually there and I am something new today? And the most fundamental answer is, well, this all happens on the Sabbath. Which means none of your works of charity, none of your donation, none of your amazing sacrificial acts of love gain you an ounce of forgiveness. God does the work of forgiveness. You rest in that. You trust in that. There is nothing else to do. We call it grace. Many years later, this prophet Isaiah spoke of a day when the annual day of atonement would not be necessary. He, he wrote, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah, he speaks of this once and for all time sacrificial lamb upon whom all the sin and all iniquity would be laid. And then many years after that, John the Baptist sees Jesus. And did you hear the first thing he cries when he sees Jesus? John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And then, do you remember uh, later in Jesus' ministry, in the Gospel of John, actually, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. He's been falsely accused. And the people, they're crying out to Pilate in this raucous trial scene. Do you remember what the people are all shouting? John nineteen fifteen, Take him away. Take him away. And then, the famous, crucify him. Azazel. The soldiers during this time, they twisted, you may remember, a crown of thorns. They put it on Jesus' head. And of course, if you have a crown of thorns and it punctures the skin, you start to get red lines, right? Covering the head. And after Jesus has been on the cross for hours and he breathes his last breath, a soldier jabs a spear into his side. Do you know why they did that? To make sure he's dead and will not return. When Christian churches put a cross at the center of their architecture, the center of their imagination, what we're naming is that forgiveness is not a nice thing we try to do toward one another. It's a, it's a good thing, among many other things we, we try to, 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 to do. But the forgiveness, newness, freedom, reconciled relationship with God and one another, that stuff is actually central. It is defining about who we are. Are. Because three days later, right, Jesus rises from the grave, having destroyed the power of sin entirely. How does the Apostle Paul put that implication sort of famously in 2 Corinthians? If anyone is in Christ, if anyone just leans in with trust into the being of Jesus Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the sin is gone, the past is gone. That does not define the new is come. And we say, well, how, how, how does that work? How do we not know the stuff doesn't define us? How do we know the lamb carries the sin away and it shall not return, but is in fact destroyed? And I love Paul again says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not your own work. It is the gift of God. It's Sabbath grace. There's, there's no work to be done to secure this. It's an invitation to simply trust. God makes us new. God has made us new. It's so easy, right? I'm always struck in church circles how readily we talk about Christians of previous generations as, as saints. She was a real saint. Grandpa, <laughs> He was a saint. Deacon so-and-so from back in the day, used to be in the narthex all day and then was here throughout the week, Monday through Saturday. And the, saint. But we're loath to think of anyone here or certainly ourselves as a saint. That's just, it means a, a, a most holy person. And that's just too lofty, too shiny, too grand. If anything, sometimes you'll find people who seem far from saintly, and maybe even filled with some bitterness and some judgment even among the church. And I'm mindful of Howard Thurman's insight in his Meditations of the Heart where he says, you know, every judgment is self-judgment. When you see things you do not like in others, you're really recognizing there is something you are judging within yourself. The more judgments you have about more things, the more unsettled you're feeling. 
He points out, yes, the saints of God do a lot of judging of one another's actions and inactions, decisions and indecisions, habits and priorities and all the rest. The judgments, they come out in words or gossip and thought and action. They often don't look like saints. The truth is they are saints. They are saints who have a profoundly difficult time accepting their own forgiveness their own newness. In fact, the amount of judgment we dole out is directly proportional to the amount we do not know ourselves graced and made new by Jesus Christ. Many saints still see themselves covered in asphalt. And maybe the Apostle Paul, he knew how hard it is for us to accept the Sabbath truth of forgiveness and even sainthood. And so when you read his letters to all these small churches, Thessalonica, Galatia, Philippi, Corinth, Rome, he always begins by addressing the people as saints. First priority, first fundamental truth, first definition. To all of God's saints in Jesus Christ in Philippi. Even if Paul's letters get to some challenging words, they always do, Paul starts with choosing to see the church as God sees the church. Most fundamentally forgiven, made new, not because the church is amazing, but because Jesus has in fact carried away the asphalt. And the thing that is most centrally defining about the church is that we are a new creation. Jesus Christ, his love, his justice, his mercy are the core of our being. And so too, the saints of God in Christ Jesus at Richmond, Virginia. We can only love our neighbor insofar as we love ourselves. We can only forgive insofar as we know ourselves forgiven. And so rest this day in this most basic central assurance. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The past is gone. The past does not define, mar, or hold. And the new is come. Rest easy. Amen.